0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au We are continuing our series this morning um, on work. And today we're going to be looking at the topic of work and career or work and vocation. And so I'm going to pray for us. If you have a Bible, keep it open. We will be jumping around a bit, but we're going to start in uh, Colossians chapter 3. So let me pray. For us as we prepare to hear God's word. Father, we thank you that you are not silent. We thank you that what you say in your word is relevant for every second of every minute and every hour of every day that we live. God, I pray today you would help us to see uh, how significant our faith is and your purpose in our lives through our work. So God, would you help us to think well this morning about who you call us to be and where you place us and what role you have for us in our society. And I ask that you would shape our thinking by your spirit and transform our lives to make us more like Jesus. We pray this in his strong name and all of God's people said, amen. I don't know what your first job was like, like, I mean, your first full-time, you know, job after high school, not, you know, not delivering papers, the one I told you about a few weeks ago. My first job after high school was working on a factory production line making promotional cases and boxes. And so I worked for a company that would make, uh, you know, like a promotional case for a sales rep that went to sell hair products, you know, door-to-door via hair salons, and I would be the person that would assemble and make the box. So I literally spent eight hours of my day performing the same four folds over and over again to assemble a box and then move it down. The next person would do their part. And it was monotonous and tedious, and it was hot, and it was in a factory, and you would get cuts on your hands. I didn't particularly enjoy the job at all. The only thing that I liked about the job was we get to listen to Triple J all day, every day. So I was like totally on top of all the music that was on point in that season of my life. But the job itself, I endured. I hated it. It was hard work. It was manual labor. I didn't particularly like the person I worked with. Um, But it was a job, hey, and I I had a job outside of school. The second job I got was working for a company that did sports administration for the local football competition. And there I did all sorts of things, mainly emails and data entry and phone calls. And sometimes I'd have to polish trophies and take ticket sales at the gate. I I didn't like the job. Um, I wasn't particularly into rugby union either. But the thing that was cool about this job was that it was a a nine-month-a-year job. And so I only worked the time that it required to administer you know, football in the winter and a bit of lead up. And then come like October, I got like a three, four month holiday. It was amazing. And so it meant that I could spend my summer like a uni student, but get paid like a full-time worker. And I had all of the time I wanted to do to all of my summer ministry camps and beach missions, all that kind of stuff. So both of these jobs, I turned up, I didn't like, they felt like a chore. I had no real sense of purpose. I had no sense of clear call of why God wanted me to be there, what I was supposed to do there, outside of be a witness. You know, that, that was the sum total of my understanding of what God wanted me to do in that workplace. And I'm not even sure I was all that good a witness in either of those workplaces, partly because of the attitude that I carried into those workplaces. I, I wonder where you find yourself in at the moment with your work or your study, if you're studying. Do you sense a deep sense of purpose and call that God has you there and, and you are using the gifts that He's given you to be a blessing to those around you or are you just getting through it? Are you just there to do your stuff, you know, obey your boss, get your KPIs ticked off, get through your exam schedule, get the degree? Like, Is there any sense of purpose? Is there any clear sense of calling that God is with you in what you're doing? Well, this morning, that's the question I want us to focus on. How is your career, how is your, 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 um, your work connected with the purposes of God in this world? Like your nine to five, does that have any relevance to what God is doing in this world, in our city, in our culture? And I think um, if we think about our work week this week, you have 168 hours in this week. Just so you know, you don't get any more or less than that. We all get the same amount of time. And for, for most of you, you will spend anywhere between two to five hours in Christian community, a church or gospel community, perhaps a triplet, and anywhere between 40 to 60 hours working or studying. And so if we don't have a good answer to that question, how is my work, how is my career, how is my, my preparation for my career, my study, how is, how is that intimately connected with God's purposes in my life in this city? If we don't have a good answer to that question, I want to suggest our faith is, is at least percentage-wise irrelevant in our lives because it only has relevance for two to four hours a week. It has to have more than that. I think... For some, you might answer that question by saying, well, the purpose for work for me, at least how it connects with God, is that I earn money so I can give to church and missionaries. And I'm a witness. I'm there to evangelize people. And those things are good, right? Absolutely. We talk about that all the time here at Anchor, but I think we need more than that. I think we need more than just, I earn money to give it away and evangelize. I'm a good witness. There has to be more of a frame for what we do with our work, with our 90,000 hours, with our nine to five, than simply earn money to give it away and be a nice person. And so this morning, what I want to do is focus on how we answer that question. And I think the reason we wrestle with that is because for some of us, we believe that being a Christian means I get saved and then I go to heaven and the stuff in between is just waiting. I, I made a set of prayer, I believe in Jesus, I know what my future looks like, but really my faith has little relevance to the waiting period in between when Jesus comes back or I die. But the, the full story of God's picture, that creation, for redemption, and restoration invites us into a much more holistic picture of life, of what it means to be human, of what it like, looks like to be God's people. And so this morning, my aim is to help you see that God is intimately, intimately connected with your nine-to-five, with your 40-plus hours this week. God is there, and He's using it. And Provided that your work is God honoring work and legitimate work, because there are forms of work that are legitimate and there are forms of work that are illegitimate, right? So, I mean, from a Christian perspective, something like a brothel or a strip club, that would be an illegitimate form of work. A drug dealer, you know, that, even culturally, that's an illegitimate form of work. There are forms of work that are legitimate, that are God honoring, and there are forms of work that simply are not. And then there's a whole bunch of other work that just falls in this gray, we don't really know, category. But provided that your work is God honoring, your work is the way that god is working his purpose out in the world what you do tomorrow morning is the way that god is working his purposes out for the good of this city for our culture and i want to show you that in four ways everything that we do your work your study in these four ways is god honoring and connected to his purpose so the first is your work is an act of worship Your work is an act of worship. Secondly, your work is an act of love and service to neighbors. Thirdly, your work is an act of excellence, or depending on how you resonate or jar with that word, an act of competence. And finally, your work is an act of renewal. So an act of worship, an act of love, an act of excellence, and an act of renewal. So let's go. Let's start at um, Colossians chapter 3. As Paul writes to the church there, he writes to a category of people, and some of the people are laborers. In fact, they're what the scriptures call bondservants. And he addresses them in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pretty comprehensive, right? Anything, whatever you do, all of it, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God. And then down to verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so Paul is painting this picture of work that that is beautiful because what he's saying here is that your work is worship, your worship and your work into they're the same activity. They intersect as you clock on tomorrow morning. You do so in obedience to God with the purposes that God has designed work for, for the good of others, for the good of the the neighbors and the people that God has put around you. Not simply to do what your boss tells you, to meet your KBIs, to get through your assignments and exams, to get it done, or just to earn money. There is something much deeper to our work. And Paul is saying here that your work is a form of worshipping God because He is the ultimate boss of everything that you do, including your work. Yeah, I think too often we compartmentalize our lives into... Parts of our life that are sacred and then parts of our life that are secular. And we think, well, I'll do all of my God stuff on Sunday morning when I go to church and on Wednesday night when I go to GC. But then I do all of my other stuff, my secular stuff all the rest of the week. We, we end up compartmentalizing our lives. So we, we believe that really the people that are doing real, genuine God-honoring work are the missionaries and the church planters and the pastors and leaders or those who are doing gospel work. They're doing real God-honoring work. And the rest of us, we just do secular work. We, we compartmentalize our lives or we compartmentalize careers and vocations. That's what the medieval church did. Around the 14th, 15th century, the monastic movement viewed work as demeaning. And most, most work in the, uh, the 15th century was manual labor. And um, so the, the monastic movement said that for Christians to work outside of the church, you were effectively a second-rate Christian. They viewed calling and vocation as a call out of the world into the seclusion of the monastery. And so they pushed the value of dignity of work down and they raised up the value and dignity of ministry and they created two classes of Christians. The, the real Christians who were doing the real God-honoring stuff and everyone else who was second rate. And then along came the Reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin and others. And they said, no, actually, that doesn't do justice to what we read in the Scriptures. They had a high view of work. They had a particularly high view of, of manual labor as well. And they said that calling, vocation, was a call into the everyday stuff of work, into the everyday realities of the world. Not a calling out of it, into the seclusion of a monastery, but into it, into your work, into the world, into the culture around us. All God-honoring, legitimate work is purposeful and is worship. It's an act of worship to God. As Nada reminded us that first sermon that he preached, our work is actually partnering with God. The definition that he gave us was that God has called Adam and Eve, he's called humanity to cultivate the wilderness, to bring beauty and to bring shalom, to bring God's peace. Literally, God says, he, he blesses the work and he sends them out to make the rest of the world like Eden, to form society and civilization and create culture. And that work is a partnership and we see that happening as God invites Adam into the process of naming the animals. Everyone remember that from Genesis? Now, you would have thought um, that God didn't really need any help naming the animals. And, I mean, obviously in English, the words are different, right? In Hebrew, in, the, in, in Genesis, they're all Hebrew words. But whatever it was, God invited Adam to exercise his ingenuity and creativity and name the animals as ruler of the creation Of the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the the animals that walk on the ground, God invites Adam into this partnership of naming the animals. And that was a process that required creativity for Adam. You know, he had to call this thing an aardvark and an anteater and, you know, all of these names. That was the invitation that God has given humanity to partner with him in work and to be creative about it. Our work is a partnership with God to bring beauty to this world, to bring shalom, to bring his peace to this world. Now, that means if if that's true, that means that ultimately Jesus is your boss and every part of your work is worship to him. It also means that we have multiple planes of accountability in our work. We all have. An earthly boss, a horizontal plane, a boss, a direct report, a manager that, that you are you know, responsible to and accountable to. And that's a good thing. But we also have this vertical dimension of accountability. That our work counts not just in the eyes of our earthly bosses, but our work counts in the eyes of God. And he holds us accountable to what we do and the way we do it. And the motivation that we engage in our work and our study It means that we don't just do good work when our bosses are watching, or when our parents are wondering how well our exam results are going, or just to meet our KPIs. It means that we do good work for the sake of the work, because it's an act of worship to Jesus. I read uh, in an article the other week that most people don't leave a job that they enjoy, a career, a, a vocation that they enjoy, because they've fallen out of love with the work, they they generally leave because of a bad boss or a manager. Most people quit their job, not because they've been disillusioned with the type of work they're in, but because of a bad boss or a bad manager. That's the reality. I, I speak to many of you, and you wrestle with the fact that your boss seems to be entirely incapable of any form of emotional intelligence whatsoever. And so people leave their job because their boss stinks, or their manager is micromanaging and controlling and manipulative and backstabbing. The reality is we have the most perfect boss in the universe. Jesus sees every act, every decision, every choice, every word that your manager or boss does not see. And all of that is an act of worship that honors Jesus, provided it's God honoring and legitimate work. And so what an amazing motivation we have, you have, to turn up tomorrow morning and like to actually turn up to work, right? We have a deeper motivation than anyone else who's perhaps motivated by climbing the corporate ladder or motivated by earning money or motivated by pleasing their parents or whatever the motivation is. There is an unseen motivation that we have to please Jesus with our work. It's an act of worship. And so, Tomorrow morning, whatever you do tomorrow, you have an opportunity to glorify God, to honor Him. And that puts a smile on God's face. As you serve customers, as you build a spreadsheet, as you devise a plan and a strategy, as you do a client consultation, as you prepare for your exams in a few weeks' time, all of that is an act of worship. Your work is an act of worship. Secondly, your work is an act of love or service towards your neighbors. You know, um, Nada reminded us that work is the way that God has chosen to bless the world. That is how God has blessed Adam and Eve, blessed work and said, go and create culture. That is God's chosen means of, or at least one of them, one of his chosen means of blessing the world is through work. It says this in Psalm 147:13 The Psalmist writes this, "For he that is God, for God strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat." Or excuse me, in Psalm 145 it talks about how God feeds every living creature. He satisfies their desires. Now the question is, how does God do that? How does God strengthen the bars of your gates? How does God provide peace at your borders? How does God provide food and the finest of wheats? unless he does that through people, through individuals, and unless he does that through our work? The reality is God could very easily choose to just miraculously put dinner on your table tonight. You sit down, Plates are set, cutlery's out, glasses there, it's all empty. And all of a sudden there's manna and quail and water from a rock that just appeared. There. God could choose to do that every night. He's done it before, He could do it again. But those are God's extraordinary means of provision. His ordinary means of provision is to provide for us through people's labor, through their work. Through the work of a society and a culture that works together. God stands behind all of that work. You think about what it takes to put a meal on the table tonight. Someone had to, you know, plow a field and plant some grain and then water and tend that grain and perhaps pesticide that grain and look after it. And then eventually when harvest arrived, he paid some people or he or she paid some people to go and harvest that grain and then they bundled that together and put it on a truck and that truck took that to a processing plant and turned it into wheat picks. and then some people processed that and put it in a box and put it on another truck and that truck went to the supermarket and then the people from the supermarket took that, put it on the shelf and then a checkout person scanned that through, beep, and then you put it in your bag and you got home and you ate wheat picks for breakfast, right? I mean, all of that took perhaps a community of 100 people and it cost you $3. I was reading a story, Alnardo sent me a story uh, just in between the services of a guy who wanted to make his own BLT, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, right? His own sandwich. You can go YouTube the video, it's how to make a $1,500 sandwich in six months, because that's how long it took him and that's how much it cost. He wanted to do everything himself, including making salt. Right? So you want to season a BLT, right? You want to season the bacon that's there. You need salt. So he had to catch an airplane to the ocean and evaporate the water to create his own salt. And you know the customs were a bit weird about this white substance that he was trying to bring on the airplane. And he ended up calculating all of that. He needed oil to cook the bacon. And so it required him to build an oil press, to press oils. I mean, all of it. And he got to the end of it. He's like, it was all right. The, the BLT was all right. But it's, it's a fascinating experiment to think of how dependent we are on other people. We are dependent on society. We, you get to just buy your wheatbix and eat it tomorrow morning. And that is the benefit of the blessing of people's work. One of the ways that God has chosen to bless this world is through our work. And so... Whatever your profession is, whatever your career, your industry, you offer a gift to our culture, to our society. If you're a lawyer, you offer the gift of justice. If you are a teacher, you offer the gift of education and knowledge. If you're an artist, you offer the gift of wonder or perhaps disruption as you make people think a different way if you're a construction worker you offer the gift of order if you're a finance or business person you offer the gift of prosperity and wealth if you're an it you offer the gift of information and connection and productivity whatever you do your contribution to our society is a gift as an act of love and service of our neighbors Now, that changes the way we think about work, doesn't it? It's not just getting to work and doing... Your small part is significant in the sum total. And if you didn't do it, if you didn't offer your unique contribution, well, in a company big enough, they would just replace you. That's the reality. But collectively, if we didn't do that, our society wouldn't function. Your work is an act of love to your neighbor. It's an act of service. Thirdly... Work is an act of excellence or competence, depending on how you vibe with that word excellence. You know, the very first instance of someone in the Bible being filled with the Holy Spirit does not come in the form of a religious leader, a priest, or a prophet. It comes in the form of a worker. Have a look at what Moses, uh, God says to Moses in Exodus 31, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, to work in every craft. You notice what God has done here. It says there that he has called Bezalel, by name, he has appointed him specifically to this task, to the task of overseeing the construction of the tabernacle. And not only does he call Bezalel to this, he also he, he empowers him. He fills him with the Spirit to equip him to fulfill the task that he has called him to. And the the construction of the tabernacle was the portable tent of meeting, the place where God has chosen to reside with his people. And God had said, I want this done with precision. The measurements need to be right. The ornaments need to be right. The placement needs to be right. It all needs to be perfect, a perfect replica of the heavenly meeting place. And so in order for Bezalel to fulfill this task. He takes his gifts of craftsmanship, of skill, of intelligence, and then God amplifies and magnifies them as he fills him with his spirit to achieve this task. And the first worker, they're a worker. He's not a priest, he's not religious. And God expects this to be done with excellence. Yeah, you know, I think for many of us, we um, we think for our work to be truly God honoring, it has to have some version of something about it that makes it explicitly Christian. And so, if you're a musician, you've got to like put Jesus in your lyrics. You've got to go all Kanye. You know, like he used to rap about all this other stuff, and now it's all about Jesus, right? That now he's making Christian music, right? You, to be an artist, you know, if you want to be a Christian artist, if you, your content's Christian, you've got to put like a, a Jesus fish or a cross somewhere, even if it's really small, hidden in the corner. You're like, that, that anoints it and all of a sudden makes it Christian art. And, but I don't know how you do that with a spreadsheet. Like, what do you do? Do you like add Jesus secretly to a formula in there? And you know, like, it's, it's silly, isn't it? Our work doesn't need to be explicitly Christian to be God-honoring. It just needs to be excellent. It just needs to be done well. God does all things well. He does all things excellently. And as we work, and as we work with diligence, heartily, for God, for his glory, and do what we do as an act of service to others well, we reflect our image that we have been made in. Our work just needs to be done with a sense of competence and excellence Dorothy Sayers, in her book on work, says that the church's message often to the intelligent carpenter is, on the weekend, don't get drunk and come to church. And she says, in fact, the church's message should be, the primary demand of your religion is to make good tables. As a carpenter, it's not just don't get drunk on the weekend and come to church. No, no, it's do excellent work. Do good work. Do fruitful work that blesses other people and serves them and causes humanity to flourish. So your work is an act of worship, your work is an act of service and love, and your work is an act of excellence. And finally, your work is an act of renewal. That is, all forms of work, every single job, career, vocation, field of study and education in this room is tainted and affected by the curse of the fall. All of it including like really, really good businesses and organizations. And that includes Salesforce. Yes. Can you believe it? It includes Google. It includes all of the most amazing companies in the world. It even includes Christian organizations and churches. All of it. All of our work is affected by the curse of the fall. And God... In saving us, has sent us into the world to be agents of renewal, that we would bring the blessing of God and the values of the kingdom to bear on a world and on a culture and society that so desperately needs it. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives the church these identity statements. If you remember them, he says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, the city on a hill. Now those images are about... What, it, what we are called to be, people that would preserve kingdom values, people that would push back the darkness in our culture. And those statements there are not things that just happen here on Sunday. They're not things that are confined to the four walls of this room. They're identity statements. That is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And we live that out 24-7 in your workplace, in your career, in your universities. And so what would it look like for you to bring blessing to your workplace? What, what would it look like to bring blessing? How could you, in your career, seek to reverse the effects of the fall, either within the context of your work or in even your entire industry? How could your entire industry work to reverse the effects of the curse and the fall. How could your work bring flourishing to people? To cause people to achieve their potential that God has intended for them. How how can you bring kingdom values to bear on your work? Where there's office gossip or where there's corruption or injustice? where there's unproductive, fruitless red tape and tasks that are meaningless and demeaning, what would it look like for you to engage in that work to bring blessing and to diminish the things that crush people? What does it look like to bring renewal? Every single one of you has an opportunity to do that tomorrow. You don't have to wait. Wednesday night in GC to pray about that. You can do that tomorrow morning. The work of God is not confined to the four walls of the church. The work of God runs through the heart of every task you do. Your spreadsheet, your team meeting first thing tomorrow morning, your exam preparation, all of it. It's an act of worship. It's an act of love and service. It's an act of excellence and it is an act of renewal bringing the blessings of the kingdom to bear on the people and the culture around us. What a beautiful way to think about work. So much better than the way that I first viewed my first couple of jobs. Just turn up, get it done, earn money, and then enjoy my holidays, right? There's so much more to it than that. So much more. And so as we consider our work and what types of work we will engage in, we need to think carefully about choosing a career, choosing a vocation and calling. Now, the reality is we live in a time, we live in an age where we are free to choose what to do. The reality is that most people, even culturally today, most people outside of a Western context don't get to choose their work. They're bound by corruption. They're bound by poverty. They're bound by all sorts. Of, they are not free to simply choose their career. They don't even get to choose education. We live in the blessing of a Western context where we have the problem of being free to choose what to do with our lives. What degree will I study? Where will I work? What industry will I work in? And by and large, most of us are free. That freedom is a gift and we need to steward that well. See, we believe that God has uniquely wired every single person. Every single one of you, you, God has made you the way you are. And some of you have just innate natural abilities. Like you started playing with Lego when you were two and you made a masterpiece. And it was clear you were going to be an engineer. Or you picked up the piano in like three seconds and you were like gold standard level 15, you know, at five years old. And it was clear that God has just wired you and gifted. We believe, Psalm 139 says, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God has purposefully designed us and created us different. And there's something beautiful about that. We also believe, Acts 17, Paul says that God is the one who determines our times and our boundaries. That is as true for uh, dynasties and for um, empires as it is for individuals. God has determined our boundaries. He places you where you are for a purpose and a reason He's gifted you the way you are for a purpose and a reason. And so how do we discern what that looks like? Well, I want to give us a couple of quick things that we can do. And I'm running out of time. I don't have time to give you all of this. I'm going to post an article on our Facebook group about how you can discern that sense of, what should I do with my life? What should I do with my career? But I want to give you a quick framework for it. The first is prayer and community are essential. I think too often... We believe that if there's someone who's willing to pay me for what I'm passionate about, that's the calling in, my calling in life. Sometimes even, no one's willing to pay you for it, but you still believe it's your passion in life. You're like, I'm passionate about being an artist. You couldn't even draw a stick figure to save your life. That's probably not your calling. There's more to it than that. Prayer and community are significant as we seek to discern. What does God want me to do? How are, The people of God who are filled with the Spirit of God speaking into this. Do they call my gifting out? Are they brave enough to say, hey, look, I actually don't think that you're very good at this. Perhaps you should consider doing this because I've seen this in you. Prayer and community are significant. After you've done that, here are three quick ways that you could discern a sense of calling or vocation. Your passions, your gifts, and your opportunities. What are you passionate about? As you see the needs of people around you, what are, what are the ways that God has wired you and gifted you? Do you think, I could meet that need, and that causes you to get excited and passionate about that? What are you passionate about? Do you have an affinity for certain industries or tasks or careers? Secondly, what are you gifted in? How has God uniquely wired you, designed you, shaped your DNA that you are simply just gifted in this category? Like For most, for most of us in this room... Unless you were born with the rich, fast twitch muscle fibers of a, an African American, you will never win the 100 meter race. It's just reality, just DNA, right? It's just the way that God has designed certain people with ethnic backgrounds. If you're not seven foot six, you're probably not going to make it in basketball, right? That's just how it goes. There, are, there are certain things about the way that God has uniquely wired you. That's good. We can give expression to that. And finally, what opportunities is God giving to you? Quick story as I close. Um, in the, in the um, movie, Chariots of Fire, there are two characters who have a very clear, different, distinct motivation for what they do. They both make the 100-meter final of the Olympics. They're both gunning for gold. The first is a guy called Harold Abrahams. And he says this. He's interviewed before the big race. He says, I look down the corridor four feet wide with a lonely 10 seconds to justify my existence. But will I do it? You see, his, the way that he is viewing his sense of calling and purpose is that in his doing, if he is successful, then it means something. If it doesn't, it crushes him. Eric Liddell, on the other hand, a Christian man who actually felt called to be a missionary in China, says this, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And then in his beautiful Scottish accent, he says, And when I run... I feel God's pleasure. What a different way of viewing work. God invites us into His story to see work in a completely different way, to see what He has called us to, the way that we work out the 90,000 hours of our life as an act of worship, as an act of loving service, as an act of excellence, and as an act of renewal. This series we've been commissioning. People in different spheres, in different industries. And this morning, we want to do that again. And so I want to invite a number of people to stand up in a moment. And we want to pray for you and commission you to do just that. So if you are a lawyer or work anywhere within the, the realm of legal um, stuff, if you work in retail, if you work in the sciences, research, uh, teaching, if you work in IT, software development, if you work in any of those industries or related issues, I want to invite you to stand up now. I I can see some of you in the room who are working in that industry. Come on, be brave. Stand up. We just want to pray for you. That's it. Thank you. I'm seeing lawyers stand up. I'm seeing. Good. Great. I want to commission you. I want to commission you guys with the words of uh, Colossians chapter 3. This is what Paul says of all workers, of all of us in the room, but this morning I want to commission you guys with these words. Whatever you do, legal, retail, science, IT, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For those of you sitting, I just want to invite you to stretch your hand out to someone who is standing up and we will pray for them and commission them into their workplace tomorrow. Father God, I thank you for every person standing, indeed every person in this room, God, I pray that you help all of us to work with a beautiful picture that we've seen this morning. Work as worship. Work as an act of loving service to neighbor. Work as an act of excellence. Work as an act of renewal. Gotta commission these people and send them out into their workplaces. Please fill them with your spirit for this task. Strengthen them. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for being brave. You guys can take a